my ideal team, if I want to reach the 500 million mark, I think it's going to be around six people. And <laughs> you're probably thinking oh, yeah, this guy's crazy. Is only 500 million. I mean, come on, slacker. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Asim Ali. Asim is from Surrey, BC. He was on our podcast way back on episode 187. Asim comes from a debt collecting background, which we talk a little about in this episode. And I think if you're looking at somebody who you want to be great at phone skills and phone skills, being a debt collector is a great thing. Asim has the unique distinction of getting to 100 million faster than probably anybody I've ever met anyway. He did 97 million in his first 24 months, which is insane. And he's now at 175 million. And keep this in mind, he's only been in the mortgage business for four flipping years. It's crazy. So in this show, he shares about how his focus has had to shift from being the salesperson to building a team. Talks about why it's so important to find the right people and treat them right and about coaching his team. So I think you're really gonna enjoy this episode. Before you check it out though, if you're a mortgage broker and you're stuck at around 10 mil a year, we really need to talk. Our program, $25 million Blueprint, is absolutely perfect for helping you get from that 10 to 20, 25, 30 million. You know, if we have a sweet spot when it comes to helping coaching clients, it's the person who's at the eight to 10 million and they're like, hey, I know how to do a mortgage, I just wanna do more of them. If that's you, then check out our $25 million Blueprint. You can get that at get25million.com. That's get the number 25million.com. And thanks so much for checking out this episode. Hey, Yassim, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you were back on the show a while ago, two years ago, and you were one of the first people that has gone to 100 million faster than anybody that I've talked to, or one of the few people that has done this. This year, you're going to finish around 175. And so I want to chat with you about kind of what you've been doing. So first off, I guess, tell me about what are some of the changes that you've made to your business in the last year that's really helped grow, do you think? Yeah. So, you know, Scott, a lot of changes have been made in the recent past. And the bigger changes I've made is towards team building. I think what I realized that as a broker, I can only do so much. I only have only a certain amount of hours in a given day. And I'm going to have to then pass on my knowledge to people I work with. And I'm going to have to make them champions, essentially, treat them well, pay them well, do whatever needs to happen, needs to happen now. So I think just like you said, my business grew out of proportion too quickly. So I had no idea how to scale my business, how to then come up with this team building sort of apparatus. And all I was doing was everything hands on every day. Every day I get a file and I'm just working on it, working on it. So I never really got the time to do the team building stuff and to coach people, put in systems in place and all that sort of stuff. And then I realized once I hit that 100 million mark that, okay, if I want to scale up from this point on, I'm definitely going to have to coach and bring in the right type of people. We have done that pretty well now. And I feel this year, as you said, we will hopefully finish around 170, 175, but I'm not still yet happy with our numbers. I think we can do way more. And I'm sure the following years will, the numbers will reflect that. Right. They'll continue to grow. Okay. So team building is something that a lot of mortgage brokers, especially if you're very competent, and you're good at your job, they seem to really struggle with letting go. So was this a problem for you? And if it was, how'd you get over it? And if it wasn't a problem, why were you able to so able to get into this? Because it seems like a sticking point for a lot of people. It is a sticking point. I think I had a lunch with Gary last year and he shared a story where he had a meeting with a bunch of CEOs from around the world and the CEO Remax was sitting there. Now, of course, he shared with me, I don't know if this is supposed to be private conversation, but I guess 
he was just this is totally fine it's fine (laughs) (laughs) keep going you gotta tell the story you can't leave the story like this so they were at an event and this ceo of remax who's in his 70s you know attend this conference along with gary and i think the moral of the story was that gary asked him somewhere along that conference that hey what is your biggest regret in all these years you've been in business and he said just the same thing you said not letting people go and then he said two years or three years ago, I, I don't recall the exact time, but Gary said that he said two or three years ago, he finished the same conference they were in at that time. He said, I went home and I fired all the people who I thought were slapping for years because I had gone with these people. I grew up with these people. I went to their weddings. I went to their kids' wedding and I went to their grandchildren weddings. And But at some point I realized their goals had changed over the years and my goals and were different than theirs to just let them go. So letting go is a big, big, big part. And I was struggling with it. I think I struggled with it this year too. We were chatting earlier on that. We brought in a couple of people who were there for about a month or two months. And I had to let them go. But I learned you got to make those decisions because sooner or later, you're going to face that. It's going to cost you money, essentially. You know, It's going to cost you your future, all that sort of stuff. So you just have to look at yourself and say, I'm going to be a little bit selfish for myself and for the people who are working with me. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. So your team right now, how big was your team this year that you did? I think you said you're going to do about 350 loans. And so how big was your team this year? What is your plan for next year? Yeah, so there were two of us. There was me, Nap, and Deep. So there were the three of us, sorry. And the coming year, we brought on two awesome people. I think they're going to be long-term prospects. So I'm looking forward to a team of five people. My ideal team, if I want to reach the 500 million mark, I think it's going to be around six people. And <laughs> you probably think oh, yeah, your goal crazy. is only 500 million. I mean, come on, <laughs> slacker. Like, I got a couple of things I want to ask about hiring a team because sure. I think most people don't realize. Like The one thing I've recognized in top performers is they build teams and the people that they have them for years and years and years. The constant churn of team members is a huge waste. and. So in any case, what year did you get in the mortgage business? I got in the mortgage business in July of 2016. So 2016, so four years ago, year. you're 175 yes. million now, which is insane. And you were the debt collector, right? So if anybody go check out episode 178. But so did you ever imagine you would be making the kind of money and impact that you're having right now when you were left out of the room? You know, honestly, I had no idea. Life just right. changed so quickly and things just kept on falling in place. Perhaps luck, I don't know, maybe the thrive. But no, no idea. Uh, yeah, hard work and drive and a bit of luck is in there. Okay, so in terms of team building, how do you decide, like everybody, there's always challenges. Where did you find the people that you have now that are great? That's the first question. Second question is then how do you train them? Because this is something a lot of people struggle with. Right. So a lot of people have different qualities. If I say every single one of my team members have all the qualities, is not true. So I think what I've done really well is based on the qualities and things they like to do, I assign them tasks based on that. And I can tell based on the responses I receive, based on the amount of time they're taking, if I give them a task versus someone else. So essentially, let's say if I say, hey, Scott, you need to sort out these documents received in the email and you need to plug everything on PyLogix or Velocity, whatever you're using. And it's taking you half an hour to do that versus another team member who's getting it done within 10 minutes. I know that they love that job and they're more inclined and they picked up speed. You've both been with us for, let's say, a certain period of time. So you want to learn about them. Like, what do they like to do? And then, you know, based on that, kind of assign those roles. 
I don't have time to train, to be honest with you, Scott. So I can't sit down with you and train you from the very basic things. It's mostly hands-on. So what we do is, let's say we bring a new prospect in and they're not from finance industry. They don't have the experience. Okay, let's start with, they'll start shadowing biologic stuff. And quickly, all I'm looking for is people who are hardworking, people who are quick learners, and people who have some understanding of tech and you know understanding of finance and maybe some experience over the phone. So I'm looking for a few things. I know I'm not going to be able to find the perfect right fit most of the times. If I bring a, an experienced underwriter over, sometimes it could work out. Sometimes you know they may have things they have been doing in a different office where these guys were producing 20 million volume per year or 30 or 40. So it's going to be hard to tell them that we're a different type of office and this is what the expectations are. So I don't know. I think I have a mix of everyone, people who are new to the industry and people who are experienced. So the two people that worked for you this year, Nav and Deep, how long have they been in the business? Were they new? Did you train them or did they come with some experience? Some experience. So good question. Nav was a broker before I brought him on. Of course, he had done Broking for about five six months, so not a whole tons of experience. So I that's not a long time. <laughs> that's not a long time, and he just knew the basics of I think biologics and communication, and understood some finance and how to take on applications. But that was it. But Deep had no experience. She had own experience. She did have the Outlook and Excel sheets and all that, and putting up database and stuff. So she had that experience, but she had no finance experience. So these two people were really green, to be honest. I think the two people we brought on board now, one of them has a lot of experience in finance and he was a debt collector in the past. So I don't think I have to hardly spend any time on him for past one month and he's just doing amazing at the moment. Right. Okay. And how many people that worked for you worked in debt collecting in the past? One. <laughs> just one. Okay. Because we talked about this. Yeah. And there's, there's a, people who are in debt collecting are amazing on the phone. I remember when we talked in the past and some of you are just natural. You did it for five years or whatever. And the ability that you pick up, you think making calls to leads is hard. Call somebody who owes you money and doesn't want to pay you. Like that's just another level of like, you've got to be able to build rapport fast, man. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, somebody called me mistakenly about six months ago. We were chatting about this. I'm sitting in my office and this woman calls me and she's asked somebody's name. And I said, hey, this is the wrong number. And the way she is fishing for information, whether I am bullshitting or it's part of my French for <laughs> telling the truth, I could remember my debt collecting days. Like, and she was just so good. After I hung up the phone, I was like, holy smokes, I didn't catch her name. You should have got she her did number. say that. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, she was so good. And you know, it reminded me of my old days. And the point is, you nailed it. Debt collectors are very smart people over the phone. Like, we used to chat after we hang up the phone, how this guy, how evasive he was answering the questions. So we would know whether that was the right person we were talking to. And he kept saying, no, no, no. You know what I mean? Like we will pick up on little, little things over that phone call where we will understand what type of person we're dealing with, whether they want to pay their debt or they're lying that we're not talking to them or whatever that may be. Right. So, yeah. It's absolutely amazing. Okay. So, in terms of training, sounds like you put them in, jump in with both feet. You got to hire really smart people. And so how did you find Nav and Deep? So then did you post jobs? Did you just know somebody? What was the process there? Right. Nav, I knew him when he came into the industry. So I helped him enter the industry. And so I knew him as a person. I knew he was a hard worker. And that was the reason I wanted to bring him on board. Deep on the other end, we did put a job posting out there. 
The other two people who were brought on board now, one of them, I knew someone and it was referred by them. And the fourth person who was a debt collector was a client of mine. So, you know, we have people from everywhere, essentially. Okay. So then in terms of like your lead, so if you're doing 350 leads a year, you've been in the business four years, 350 deals on leads. So where is the source of your business coming from? Like, is it a lot of it's, realtors, at least initially? Because how did you get there? And I think you had mentioned before, it's a lot of past clients now and client referrals, but like, how did you get to that many clients that quickly? This has, of course, built up over time. The first year, I think we did 33 and then we did 100 and then did a 112 and now I'm 175. So of course, all those years where I built a decent book of business, I started work with a lot of realtors within that time frame. And so most of my business is now coming solely from just the database. We have really 80%, I would say. There's some people who might see us online or something else, 80 to 90% comes from the database we have. There's, of course, the one-offs who saw, you know, name online or saw your something else and then they'll reach out to you. Why do you think it is? I mean, you seem like a great guy, but why do you think clients are referring you so much? Is there something in your process? What do you think it is? Yeah, I think it was mostly communication. I think a very big part of our process was communication. So I think we talked about this. I nurtured these relationships. So you asked me in the, I think, first podcast or maybe before the podcast or after because we had spoken a few times, what percentage of my clients I would normally see and I was telling you I'm seeing probably close to 100% of my clients that used to be the way business has been done for almost three years so I think part of that process was I was able to sit down with everybody they were able to ask me questions I was able to explain everything give my analysis on their mortgage approval process and all that sort of stuff so that bond was built with all these people over that three-year period for whatever business we did and this year when the pandemic hit it didn't matter. The bond was so valuable with these people. I interacted personally, met them, and that we kept getting business. Yeah, I think that might have played a big role in engaging the amount of business we have engaged this year. Okay, so you met with years. all your clients face-to-face. But now when COVID, when this finally gets sorted, hopefully whenever that does happen, will you go back to meeting clients? Or now that you've adopted new practices, what are you going to put your plan Yeah, so it's going to be a mix of everything, Scott. I know that there are some guys who have gone 100% working remotely after the crisis is gone. They might stay that way. I think I'm probably going to keep a mix. We would prefer, of course, taking applications over the phone, getting documents emailed. It streamlines the process. But at the same time, that personal meeting with the client, the type of value that provides, you can't really replace that either. So I think it's going to be a mix of everything. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, the people I'm bringing on board, I'm trying to, for example, we brought on board, he has a lot of banking experience and debt collection experience. He can do a lot of meetings, very, very, very intelligent guy. Then we have NAV. So I'm trying to build people, I'm trying to grow them. And the goal will be, I think it's going to be mostly 50-50 or it just depends on who we're talking to, what are they? Right, so you'll you'll adjust it based on the situation. Okay, so let me ask you this. In terms of what are some of the things you've adopted since COVID happened that has been really helpful for you? Like what kind of changes have you made? I don't know if we've really made any changes. I think we got lucky. Market was busy, (laughs) to be honest. Of course, the changes we made is we have adopted some changes, of course, sending. I still, I don't do Zoom calls. I'm still the phone person. I pick up the phone. I go over the commitment just like the old school days. So those things I haven't really adopted, which I should, but 
Other than that, I think what we've done is we streamlined our process much more online where, hey, let's put in better manuals, better emails in place where the client can read everything and understand what we're looking for. Ask everything in one email instead of going back and forth with the client. We may not have, so putting, yeah. using more templates and things? Exactly, exactly. So we work towards putting more templates and automating stuff that how can we store this all in Outlook and things like that, which we weren't doing before. Outlook is huge and it gives you so many tools. I think we weren't even utilizing 90% of them before and now we've engaged quite a few more. Okay, so question for you. So lead comes in, who calls the lead? You, does your team? Like, so if I'm a lead, I come to you, I get referred to you from a friend. Who's talking to me? Is it you? Is somebody else on the team? Right. And, so, and then you so, said you take applications yeah. over the phone, right? And then right. email docs. So what's normally happens in that process? Very good question. So what was happening before has changed recently. What was yeah. happening before was I was taking in all the initial calls. Then the process from that point on, the documents follow up will get taken care by NAV and the file will get input by deep and then now we'll go and or i will go underwrite the file and submit to a lender from that point on they will take over whatever remaining pending documents community so did you find that you just you ran out of time is there a reason that you switched to yeah or what was the reason for that yeah so the reason for that is i think you know if i'm looking at if i want to scale up and i want to have more free time or i want to go to the next stage i'm definitely going to have to spend most of my time trying to build better systems trying to coach people who are working with me, trying to take care of their needs and make an efficient system, then probably taking all the phone calls. Because my phone, till we change our phone number to the office line now too, my phone used to ring just nonstop, like it was just crazy. And I wouldn't be able to get to all the leads. And sometimes, you know, a lot of business will end up going sideways. So I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to become more efficient. And so we don't lose any business, have the right people in place, allow them, train them, coach them, make the initial calls, take on the application, submit the application. Gary said it once, and I'm going to say it again, I use his quotes because we talk over the phone once in a while, we'll have our lunch together. And he did say this, Asim, if you can't get away from your business for four weeks, then you don't really have a business. And the reality is most brokers can't get away from their business for four weeks because even they're on vacation, their phones. Yeah, still they, they, they everything would, would blow apart if they did that. That's a good point. Exactly, exactly. So I'm working towards that. And I think right now I can really forward my office, my cell phone even to the office and I can just walk away and my business will run Continue on its own. Yeah. Okay. And so then if someone else takes that lead, so if it's NAV or Deep, do they run with a lead end to end or is, do you have like a multi-step uh, process? That's the part I'm trying to get better and better, Scott. Some leads I might get involved like 10 to 15% and some leads 99% they will do end-to-end stuff. But yes, we are working towards getting that where they run the lead from end-to-end from start to finish. Okay, right. So then they own the lead, they own the deal. I mean, there's two different models that I've seen it through. There's the assembly line model where everybody, it's like the Ford cars with one person puts on the tires, the next person. And so Quicken Loans is very much an assembly line model where everybody has a very specialized role. And then there's other model where it's like, hey, no, each person takes the deal from end to end. So it's interesting. To touch up on that point, I always look at how lenders have adapted this model too. Some of our lenders where the underwriter takes the deal, reviews all documentation, and then instructs the file to their funder. And then the other business model is you submit the deal to the underwriter. 
the underwriter may have to submit the deal to their peers, which is the manager. So it creates two layers of approval. And then the manager will approve it. And then there will be a doc specialist who will then review the deal. They both work. There's no right or wrong. I think the idea is whichever one you can refine it and enhance it and whichever works for your business model. Like they both work. I think they both do because we've seen lenders, let's say, I don't wouldn't want to drop names of lenders, but I knew two very competitive lenders have the total opposite systems where there might be an assembly line or where it might be an end-to-end, you know. One person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So next question for you. So this is kind of last question that I want to ask. And then if there's anything that I you think I should have asked, I'd like to ask that. But so you could go back to when we were on the show before, you're at 97 million. So this is advice for a $100 million producer. What would you say to yourself? What advice would you give yourself at that $100 million mark that helped you get to here? Honestly, I think I should have given myself advice back then that if you are doing 100 million volume like I was, I should have started doing team building earlier than I have. I think it took me a while to get there. And honestly, team building is crucial. I think once you surpass the 30, 40 million dollar mark as a broker, you need to hire an assistant and make sure that assistant has the same goals as you. Make sure that you're treating them well. Make sure you're paying them well. Make sure you're taking care of their needs. You talk to them well. Don't be a manager. Try to be a leader. We don't even track our employee hours. We don't track this sort of stuff. I believe, you know, and these guys are working on weekends and evenings, and I don't expect them to do that, but they're just doing it because they love being part of the office. Some of them yeah, you told created, that. You created that culture, right? And you, you, you track the right type of people, so... That's really good. Okay. Is there anything else that I should have asked you that you think that would be useful for our listeners? This has been very insightful. I can't wait to get you back on at 500 million. You'd be like, it's just going to be, okay, team, team, systems, team, systems. And, but yeah. So anything I, that you'd like to share or should have asked? Right. I think, you know, a lot of your listeners are people who are entering the space. A lot of them have been in the space for a little while and they're struggling. I did say this, or they are getting better and better, and they're trying to find ways. And so I said this last time too, and I'll say it again, you know, your best friends are the brokers in the industry. These are the guys who do this day in, day out. So you definitely want to be in their good books. You want to be friends with them. Guys like Asim are going to be busy. So, you know, if they can't answer your phone one time, don't take it personally just because they have a busy day, but it's your job as a new broker or as a broker who wants to excel and get to the next stage to reach out to guys like Asim or guys like Jim or guys like Colin or anybody else in the industry who was willing to share and help. You will be surprised how much these guys are willing to share, how much knowledge they're willing to give you if you just ask. And sometimes they may not be there. Don't take it personally, but call them again or reach out or send them an email, send them a text, whatever works. They will respond back when they have time and they'll spend time with you. So it definitely helps. You have done an amazing job. I know you put out really good content out there. Scott, you talk to all the industry veterans, all the smartest people within Canada and sometimes which are not in just in finance, but real estate as well. And you put out a lot of good content. So as a new broker, you just kind of have to keep asking, keep looking for information. And at some point, you're going to be able to put it all together and excel your career. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you do get advice from somebody who's way farther ahead of you, actually do it. You know, don't just listen and go, yeah, okay, it's a good idea, Seem, and then not do it. Like, uh, like I'm sure that this is the thing I've noticed is that people will get advice from somebody who's further down the line, down the road, and then they won't follow it. So 
If you're listening to this show, that's not you. I'm talking about people who aren't listening to this show. Exactly. 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 And you know, just like you said it before we finish, I sit down with a lot of club brokers and I say, hey, I only have five minutes of my day. I'm going to give you the knowledge within that five minutes, what I think is going to work for you. But it's your job at the end of the day to apply that in your daily routines, right? So, I mean, you might get five, 10 minutes of someone's time, but at the end of the day, they are giving you the life lessons. So pay attention to what they're saying and apply it every single day, because that's the only way you're going to get ahead. You can keep listening to all the YouTube videos and what a scene says, or keep reading all the books you want. But if you don't get up and apply, it's irrelevant. It's pointless. You might as well just Go be a realtor. No, just kidding. (laughs) Okay, well, Asim, buddy, it's always great chatting with you. You will be back at the $500 million mark. We will be celebrating. We'll pop champagne or something. And uh, I'll talk to you in a couple years. Done. Hey, thanks again for checking out this episode. As a reminder, if you want to get your business to $25 million, plus and you want our help to do it check out get25million.com we have a program coming up in january called the 25 million dollar blueprint we run it once a year it's our signature program where we're going to show you how to convert realtors we're going to show you how to set up your time so that you can actually work less as you continue to scale we're going to show you how to compete with rate sites so how do you win when it's always about rate 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 and a whole bunch more how to get realtors to refer you it's a fantastic program check out get25million.com that's get the number 25 million.com and thanks so much for checking out the show